Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Holistic Health Hour with me, professional holistic life strategies coach, Aleka Thorvalson. This unique and inspiring show allows us to look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health, our wellness, and happiness from a mind, body, spirit, and soul perspective. And it is my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, about our relationships and our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. Welcome. Welcome to part two of the Alchemy of Grief series. And I want to thank you all for the feedback on part one of the Alchemy of Grief series. It got quite a bit of feedback. If you missed part one and you'd like to listen to it, you can find it on my website, alekasky.com, A-L-E-K-A-S-K-Y.com. And if you go to my website, go to the Media and Resources tab, click on that, and it has all of my past shows archived. You can also find my shows archived here at Blog Talk Radio under Mind, Body, Spirit, You. All of our shows from Mind, Body, Spirit, You are archived there. And thank you again for the feedback that I got on the last show. I heard back from many of you, and you shared some incredibly courageous and inspiring stories. One person in particular shared their discovery that grief and their experience of grief really opened them up to being more grateful for every day. And I thought that was a very telling and profound truth because the journey through grief really can open us up to live more fully in the present. So thank you again for the inspiring stories. A couple questions, a couple show ideas, and I will be hopefully doing some podcasts here to develop some of those great questions and ideas that you all sent in. So thank you again for that. I do love hearing from you. Please feel free to reach out. I also want to tell you to stay tuned for some upcoming classes and coaching groups that I will be developing in the new year. I am going to be doing an online astrology class, so this is completely virtual. If you are interested in learning about astrology and how you can utilize it in your own life, this is a very basic class. We're going to be starting with just understanding the the letters, so to speak, of the astrology language, being able to put those letters together to make words, putting those words together to make sentences, to create a sense of meaning. So if you're interested in in that, you can um, just stay tuned. I'll be announcing that soon. If you want to be on the list, you can certainly go to my website and email me, and I'll keep you posted personally on when that class starts. I'm also going to be doing the Food, Feelings, and Finding Freedom group, and I believe I'll be doing that virtually as well since many of you have asked for that to come back. So this group is going to be all about really finding balance between your body and your relationship with food, using it as a tool for introspection, getting to the cause of the issue rather than just studying the effect. It's it's a deep and different way of looking at your relationship with your body and food. So I'll be doing that. And I also am going to be putting in the works a developing your intuition to connect to life purpose class because that is one of the main questions that I get. So I'm going to be doing that at some point here soon as well. Lots of new stuff in the works. And if you want any more information on any of that, you can follow me on my Facebook page under Aloha Healing Arts or you can sign up for my newsletter on my website. I will be giving more details as it gets closer through Facebook and through my newsletters, and I will also be doing so here on the Holistic Health Hour. So stay tuned, listen to this show. I'll be giving dates and details as I put it all together. Also, I have a new feature that if you'd like to show your appreciation for the podcast, you can do so through a donation. Now, this enables me to really spend 
more time bringing these shows to all of you. So if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to donate to the cause, just go to my website under the media page where all of my shows are archived and you'll see a donate button. Super easy, just click on it and you can donate anything that you'd like and it is um, much, much appreciated just allowing me to be able to have more time to spend with all of you here. So let's move on to tonight's show as I have lots to say about the topic as usual. Before I move on into the new content though, I just wanna recap just a bit what we spoke about in the last show. Just to get us sort of that base so then we can hit the ground running and develop these new ideas. The first point I wanna make is that grief certainly arises when someone we are connected to passes away or dies. That's how we typically think of grief and the grieving process. But we also grieve for many other reasons. Because we experience grief anytime we experience a significant loss. The loss of a job, the end of a relationship, the loss of our health, the loss of a goal or dream. All of these experiences evoke a need to grieve. And I also spoke about the connection between grief and change and how grief is necessary to the energy of change, that grief is a necessary part of the energy that takes us through the gap of change to the other side. Because change really is about letting go of something to make room for something else. Essentially, when we talk about change, we talk about losing something and gaining something. There's an element of growth there. I also spoke about the differing levels of intensity of grief and just how we can begin to open up to it to find the energy and embrace the wisdom that grief can actually offer us. So as we're talking about this concept of different levels of grief, I want to share kind of a light, funny story with you around grief. When I do these podcasts, I take notes, highlight some ideas that I want to share with all of you. And depending on the show, some shows have more notes than others. Well, for this show, The Alchemy of Grief 2, I actually took pretty extensive notes. Had a lot of points that I wanted to make. And I'd done a lot of introspection and, you know, really had formulated some thoughts that I wanted to share about this. It took me a couple days of, you know, working on it. And I had a couple pages of notes. And so I'm, I'm ready, I'm sitting down, I'm getting ready to record, have all my stuff out, and I go to open my computer to find the Word document, and it's gone, it's not there. Which was completely baffling to me, because that doesn't usually happen with all the autosaves and all the other stuff that I have to safeguard against that kind of thing, but nonetheless, not there. Now, I go... Th- first of all, went through a phase of feeling completely in denial about this, so that it can't be gone. This kind of thing doesn't happen. So I'm searching my computer, I'm looking at Word, I'm Googling how to find a lost document, but it's not there. It's gone. Then I get angry and frustrated. How could it be gone? I have to get this done, and I'm angry about this. About that time, I call my husband and say, in a very angry way, I'm venting. I can't believe this is gone. How to, how to find this document? Is there anything I can do? And I'm angry and I'm sharing with him how much I, how I worked on it. And he said, gosh, I really don't know. And so I hang up and by this time I'm so angry I took a break. Came back, thought, you know, now that I'm feeling a little more centered, maybe if I just sit in the front of my computer and intend for the document to show up, it will. I'm a believer in energy. I know about how this stuff works. So maybe stranger things have happened, right? Maybe it'll just show up. Maybe if I just let go of needing to have the outcome, which was kind of silly because, of course, I had the outcome. But anyway, it's what I'm telling myself. You know you've all done this. So I'm sitting here 
you know, in, a, in essence, giving Reiki to my hard drive, trying to find this lost document, loving it back into existence. And it's just not working. But boy, did I want it to. Bargaining with the universe to have this document come back. And about this time, my husband actually got home and he walks in and he's seeing me doing hands-on healing to my hard drive and says, you know, I see you didn't find the document. Um, No, I did not. And of course, then I go into the sadness around it. You know, oh, I I can't believe I I lost it and I'm going to have to do it all over again. And, And actually felt this sadness welling up in me about the fact I was going to have to do this again. And and I shared this with him, and and then I moved into a place of, well, maybe it's for the best. Maybe there's a reason why it happened just this way. And maybe I will make it better. And maybe there was a, a, a point that I, I would have missed the first time, and I'm going to make it this time. Maybe I needed to rewrite it. Well, about that time is when I figured out that what had happened through this process is that I actually gone through in about an hour and a half the whole process of grief. I'd lost something and I went through each and every stage, got to acceptance and sat down on my computer and started writing again. So I thought, what a telling story to share with all of you that sometimes grief and loss can be very insignificant like that. That was completely insignificant, not that big of a deal. But how interesting that I actually cycled through each and every phase, utilizing the energy to kind of move me through the cycle to get to the other side. Now, it's kind of a silly story. It's kind of funny. And I know that for many of you listening, and certainly I've experienced it, loss can be not insignificant at all. It can be major. But I still want to you to have that story in your mind as we're going through the cycles of grief, the stages of grief tonight, because that's what we're going to be talking about. What is this practice of moving through grief? To begin to understand this process that I just described and how it relates to grief, I want to point out that grief is more complicated than other feelings. Because from that story I just shared with you, the grieving process as a whole actually encompasses many other feelings within it. So while we call it the grief process or the grief cycle as a whole, it is actually made up of smaller processes or smaller cycles within the whole. And each one of these mini cycles of these processes has a vital and important purpose to helping us move through grief as a whole. Each one holds the wisdom and energy that can get us through that gap of change, through grief to the other side. Now, the stages I mentioned in my story in the beginning are pretty well known. You have likely heard about the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Those are the the classic five stages, and they were first cited by a woman named Elizabeth Cooler Ross. Many of you probably know who she is. She's rather famous in her work and study on death, dying, and grief. She talked about these five stages of grief in her book. It's called On Death and Dying. It was written in 1969, so it's been around for a while. Now, what I'll say about that is clearly those stages are present, but I actually think there are more stages. I think that depending on the grief and what we're grieving, it doesn't necessarily need to look classic at all. We know that about our lives. They are unique to us. So there might be more stages. If you are going through grief, you might even have a stage of guilt or jealousy, 
I've, I've seen different stages arise. So I just want you to recognize that probably there's more than five, but the five classic ones are, are good to talk about. I also want to note that the cycles or stages, the five of them, do not necessarily occur in any specific order. And it depends on exactly what you're grieving and how deeply you're grieving and how complicated the process is that sometimes we go back and forth and we'll, we'll go forward into acceptance but then back into denial. It, it's really unique to every person. There's no right or wrong way to go through a cycle as long as we keep moving. So I think it's more helpful to look at these five stages as a guide in the grieving process. Some possible stepping stones along the path that lead us through change. Guideposts. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about the, the classic five stages of grief. And I'm going to be adding my own interpretation from what I've experienced and what I've seen when I've worked with clients, many, many clients over the years working with grief. Why? Because I work with change. So it shows up a lot. I want to look at each stage to illuminate, to point out the energy and wisdom of each phase, and then also show how each phase or cycle, mini-cycle, aids in the grief process as a whole. I also want to highlight what it looks like if we are not utilizing the stage in a functional way or if we get stuck in one of the phases. So that's what the show is tonight. And let's start with the first phase. That's a good place to start. Start at the beginning. Denial. Denial is the classic name. I also call this phase dissociation because it can feel that way too. And in essence, they're somewhat similar in action. Just right off the top, denial and disassociation are normal, and actually they're healthy reactions to rationalize overwhelming emotions that can show up with grief. In a sense, they are defense mechanisms that can buffer the shock of significant loss. It is like needed pain relief for our psyche and soul. Just like when we have acute physical pain, say we have a headache or a backache, we might take some Advil. Well, denial and disassociation are sort of our inner ibuprofen. So the wisdom of this phase, and think about the energy of denial or disassociation. So the wisdom of this phase is a needed time out. That's how it feels when we are in denial or disassociated. We need that time out to begin to try and integrate the loss and change that we find ourselves in. We have to have time to try to absorb the shock of the loss. It's like there's no file for it in our minds and we need time to try to sort it or file it in some way. So if you've been in this phase before, you can feel that time literally slows down. It is as if we deny what has happened because we are really be between worlds, the world of connection with this person, event, and then the world of loss. We're just thrown into it, the known and the unknown, the familiar and the totally foreign. So in this space, in this gap, we can feel foggy, spacey. Time can feel really, really weird. When I was in this stage of, of grief, the few times in my life that it's been incredibly significant, that I felt like I was in another reality, completely different reality, that time was going, people were, were walking around and living around me, and I felt like I was separate in some way. So in a very real way, we are separate because we have been thrust between worlds. 
We have been thrown into this gap of change and we need some time to integrate. We need stillness. We need a break to begin to integrate all that has happened. The energy of this space is one that slows us down. The other thing that I remember feeling is time was slowed and everything was slower, but I had this heightened sense of awareness as well. It's almost as if we were opened up. And maybe we are opened up to begin to ask bigger questions, to begin to create space for this new reality that is starting to take shape in our lives. Evoking patience is important in this phase. It's important in all the phases. And to allow ourselves to be right where we are. If you're here, if you're in denial, if you don't want to see it, if you're feeling spaced out and checked out from reality, it's okay. Be there. I think it's helpful to practice going from moment to moment in this phase, from one action to the next the next right action to the next right action because the big picture, the enormity of what has happened is just too big. And we need to integrate it piece by piece. And that's what the wisdom and the energy of this phase really is all about. So disassociation and denial is a natural part of grief, especially in the beginning. But it is also, unfortunately, how we are conditioned to look at grief in our culture. And because of this, I think it's a very common place to get stuck. Because we are not taught to embrace grief and loss. We're just not. In many indigenous cultures or even ancient cultures, death was seen as a part of life and it was discussed and maybe even celebrated in some ways. In our collective consciousness, we really have lost this practice. It's not something that we often talk about. And if we do talk about it, it's not always a comfortable conversation. The truth is we are surrounded by the threat of loss every day. It's around us all the time. But yet we become conditioned to deny it. So we watch movies. Heck, we watch the news where people face tremendous circumstances and devastating losses and changes happening. And we often anesthetize ourselves to it. We bypass the reality of it because that's what we're taught. Maybe we try to bypass through our intellect. You ever notice that when someone dies, we ask how they died? Or if a relationship is ending, why they broke up? Or if they have cancer, well, did they smoke? Did they eat meat? As if we find out that if they smoked for 30 years or if their spouse had an affair then we can intellectualize it in some way for ourselves. We can separate ourselves from the reality that it could happen to us because we don't do those things. We can bypass spiritually. I hear this all the time in metaphysical circles. It drives me nuts. Um, Say things like, guess it was their karma. It was the end of the soul contract, and that is why they broke up. And if you're a religious sort, maybe they broke a religious dictate or law. Pick your flavor. We can bypass spiritually. We don't do those things, so we don't need to worry. Look, and and I don't mean to say that as if it's not true, because I get it. At the end of it, there are things in life that happen, and we do have accountability. I've talked about that in the last shows. Maybe it was the end of the soul contract, and that is why it broke up. That could be true. But if we try to get to the end of the journey before walking through it, we're just bypassing. It's not going to stick. Because things do happen for a reason, and fate is real. But when we focus on the why, why did it happen? Why did it happen to them? We deny the truth that it could happen to us. It's right outside our door. And then we become numb to the concept of loss. And then we fear death, and we deny it. 
And then we also fear change because we have no guideposts to reference to move through loss. To deny loss is to deny a very important truth. Because when we acknowledge loss, rather than denying or separating ourselves from it, when we allow ourselves to feel deeply, to really contemplate death and to seek change, we actually open to live more fully now with more compassion, more gratitude, with more vitality. In Greek culture, there was a belief that anyone who was anyone had to walk through Hades first. They had to walk through hell. They had to walk through death. Why? Why? Because it is only when we walk through the shadow of what has been denied that we can appreciate the light. So while denial and disassociation is an incredibly important phase on the journey through grief, it is also a place where we can get stuck. And I also want to use this time to highlight for you to look at those places within yourself. Look at death. Look at loss. Look at change. Do you deny or bypass it in your life right now? How open are you to looking at those darker spaces? Because when you can, really look at what death and loss and change means in your life, you will automatically begin to live your life more fully. Okay, let's move into the second stage, anger. Now, anger, you know how much I love anger. I've talked about it in the past. Anger is a very important phase in the grief process because anger offers the gift of clarity. Anger can reveal just what we are resisting within ourselves and where we need to set boundaries. And it can also ignite our passion to move forward. How does it do this with grief? Well, if we are grieving a breakup or loss of a relationship, we can channel our anger to set boundaries for self-care and help us heal. If we are grieving our past, something we talked about. Sometimes we need to grieve our past. If we are grieving our past abuse, we might use anger to inspire us to set boundaries around our own worth and deservedness. In grieving a death, we might have anger towards an injustice we feel has happened that spurs us forward to taking action or setting a boundary about a change that must be made in our own lives. Maybe we feel rage or anger at the drunk driver that hit our loved one, and that inspires us to teach in some way or to give back. Either way, anger shows up in grief. We might be angry that what we wanted was taken from us, maybe without our permission. We might be angry at God, angry at our loved one. This is the wisdom of the phase the ability to use that energy of anger to get more clear about what it is we believe, what it is we feel, and what action we need to take. Because through change, we are often called to do something. Through grief, it often opens us up to a new possibility, which means action. So the energy gifted to us through the stage of anger is the fire and inspiration to be able to take whatever action we feel called to take. We feel plugged in, clear, present, energized, inspired if we can utilize it. And we may feel the intensity of this phase rising up. Anger is a very visceral, as all feelings are. They're very somatic. But anger is. Anger, if we can channel it within ourselves can connect us to this universal volcano of of rage where we all feel the eternal struggle with life's impermanence and our ego's inability to accept that. 
we may feel the unhealed, angry parts of us reemerging the past in the present, like an old scar being opened up. Maybe a new wound so very much like the old one. So if we're in a relationship and somebody leaves us, old abandonment issues, old grievances, remember a grievance is unhealed grief, old grievances start to arise. And the anger that comes up can inspire us to make changes and to heal the past. So understand that when we're in this phase of change and anger arises, it may not be about just this situation. Now, if we're not aware of that, what can happen is that we become imbalanced, full of rage, not about now as much as about the past, opening a volcano within us. And if this happens without clear consciousness, we may become imbalanced, becoming flamethrowers, aiming our fire at inanimate objects, strangers, friends, or family. Grief is certainly messy, and moving through it means we allow the messy. Yet, we want to do so with as much consciousness and in a balanced way as possible. Because if we aren't able to connect to what is causing our rage, we are angry without direction. And sometimes we can get stuck there not utilizing our passion in a, in a directed way, not allowing us to move forward, to allow us motion, to inspire us to take action. Because so many of us are not taught to really embrace our anger after all. So we may just explode or we may shut it off. Either way, it's dysfunctional. And that's part of the dance through grief, requiring, needing to be in it enough to lean into it enough to find the gifts that are present, but not lose ourselves or become unbalanced in the process. We have to stay grounded enough on shore to not lose ourselves completely in the river, to allow our heart to burst wide open, but not shatter completely. And I've spoken at length about the gifts of anger in, in another show, in other shows, actually. I've talked about anger quite a bit. But I want you to remember that anger is a passionate and igniting force that can drive us forward. And it's an important one to harness. It's, it's, a, it's beautiful as action, as inspiration to allow us through the gap of change to the other side, uniting us with a sense of purpose. So embrace the anger. Connect it to what you're angry about and use it as a tool to transform. Bargaining. Now this name, bargaining, I, I don't necessarily call it that. What I try to call it is controlling uncertainty. I think that makes more sense. I'll tell you why. Now, a common reaction to feeling a sense of helplessness and vulnerability that grief can cause is to try and regain a sense of control. So this can look like if-then thinking. If I hadn't said that, maybe they wouldn't have left me if we're grieving a relationship. If I was a better kid, maybe he wouldn't have hit me, grieving abuse from the past. Maybe if I had made him seek medical attention sooner, grieving a death. Maybe if I had called that day, he wouldn't have killed himself. This is, this is what we do, if-then thinking. I remember during the grieving process of a very significant breakup, I remember driving down the highway and bargaining with the streetlights. If I got a green light, it meant that he would come back and everything would be okay. And if I got a red light, it meant he wouldn't. And I would try to speed up and slow down accordingly to, to get the outcome that I believed I wanted at the time. So again, significant and insignificant. It can show up everywhere. Sometimes people are attracted to divination or intuitives or psychics in this phase wanting to have some insight into what is going to happen or how we could control the outcome and get what we want. Maybe if I burn some candles, 
say some affirmations, that'll get the person back. Maybe if I do Reiki on my hard drive, right? And I'm not saying that's wrong. It's okay to some extent because uncertainty is freaking scary. And so we all try to manage that fear somehow. We try to find a way to get some purchase on that slippery slope we find ourselves in with uncertainty. So we second-guess ourselves, maybe if I. We bargain, maybe if I do this, then. We try to find a way to get the outcome we desire, to try to manage the uncertainty we feel. But this part of the process, the wisdom of this phase, when we find ourselves trying to control uncertainty, is actually about learning what happens when we lean into it. So when we make space for it, when we welcome it, when we can lean into uncertainty, the wisdom of this phase is immense. We have to surrender to the uncertainty we feel. Bargaining is a way that we can recognize we're trying to control it. But truth be told, bargaining isn't necessarily the way we want to handle it. So the wisdom of this phase is to actually spend some time with uncertainty. Be there. Because the world of uncertainty is also the world of unlimited possibilities. We can say that with fear, I don't know what's going to happen. Or we can say that with curiosity, I don't know what's going to happen. Simple, maybe. Not easy, I know. So the energy of this phase, think about what we do. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to bargain. We're trying to manage. The energy of this phase is curiosity, opening. It's letting go and surrendering, too. When we wade in the waters of uncertainty, we start to ask important questions we may never have asked before, and answers can come in unexpected ways. We often use our minds in this phase. When we bargain or try to control, we're thinking about things. Maybe we're second-guessing and looking back, and that's a good thing. We want to look back and say, not necessarily if I had done that, but what was that really about? What is my role here? Why might that have happened for me, not to me? So when we allow ourselves to be in uncertainty, we can ask deeper questions. And as I said, when we bargain, we are actually engaging our mind, and that can be helpful. Remember, grief is a holistic process. We want balance as much as possible. What could we have done? What do we really have control over? What really happened? Important questions. Another important question, is this about now? Especially when we're dealing with grief from the past and we're being triggered in the present moment. What's happening here? Grief work is about surrendering to the practice of uncertainty. It is about plunging us into a place of powerlessness, new terrain, so we can connect to a deeper, more sacred power within us. And this particular cycle is vital to that process. Because when we embrace the gift of uncertainty, which really is freedom, expanded possibilities and choices, we are naturally led to the other side. We find the healing that we seek. Grief shows us that our egos want to control, and this phase allows us to let go, expand, trust in something bigger and more divine. Yet, it is a common place to get stuck if we don't allow it to naturally flow. If our minds get too involved, we can find ourselves bargaining, replaying the story over and over again. We can fall into victim consciousness, believing it's our fault. If we don't let go, we hold on. If we get stuck in trying to control what cannot be controlled, we may begin to obsess. Our minds take over, worrying constantly 
thinking of all the possible scenarios that have happened or might happen. And we hold on rather than let go, trying to control the very uncertainty we actually feel. A good practice in this phase is to surrender, to let go and make room for the new possibilities to emerge. The fourth phase is depression. That's what it's classically called, depression. But I don't call it that. This is the only phase that I really do change the name when I'm working with clients. Because from my understanding, again, mine, depression is what happens when feelings get stagnant. It's like still water. It's not moving. When we are depressed, we are actually numb. We are not feeling anything. It's more like denial. We feel empty, uninspired, disconnected. So depression is actually what happens when this phase gets stuck. Stuck grief is pain recycled, and it's not igniting, which can cause depression. Anything stagnant can cause depression. Grief sometimes turns into depression, so it's important to acknowledge if you are finding yourselves very, very depressed and you're grieving, because this is actually an indication that you might want to get some support. Chronic feelings of, of hopelessness or emptiness are indications that you could use some support. Because depression in this way is not just mentally taxing, but it can affect how we think, it can affect our immune system, our sleep, and many of the natural processes that keep your body in working order physically, spiritually, and mentally. So if you find yourself deeply depressed in your, in your life in general, but if you're working with grief specifically, finding someone to help assist you get that stagnant water moving again would be very helpful. So depression is what happens when, when feelings get stuck. So I don't call this phase depression. I've renamed the phase sadness because sadness is a vital part of the grief process, and it is vastly different than depression. It's not the same thing at all. Sadness is about feeling sad. Depression is about not feeling at all. So the gift of sadness is release and letting go. Sadness is about creating space in our lives, clearing out what is no longer there or no longer serving us to make space, to carve out, to experience something new. Sadness symbolizes endings as much as it symbolizes the inevitable beginning that is coming. In truth, we know that. I've talked about it in the past. We know that sadness is a part of change and release, and it, it shows us where new energy is coming in and often where new energy is leaving. So we know that, but it doesn't mean it's easy. Because these feelings, these beginnings, this change that happens, especially without our permission, is really hard. We do not want the, the new we want the old, thank you very much. Well, sadness is the bridge that flows between loss and attainment, between the familiar and the new. It is the water that the boat rides on to take us to the other side of the river. And often in grief, we are asked to ride the river, even if we don't know exactly where it's heading. Shedding, letting go, all the while just trusting that the new is coming. So the wisdom of this phase, the wisdom of sadness, is evolution, change, letting go to experience something new. And the energy of this phase is release. We want to allow that energy of release to flow as much as possible. Cry, wail, scream, Release what needs to be released. There is something incredibly healing about having a good cry. And you likely know that. But science is 
on the same page these days. There was a really interesting study, many actually, but one that I was citing that looked at both reflex tears and emotional tears. So tears after, say, peeling an onion and then watching a sad movie. Now, when scientists analyzed the content of the tears, they found that each type was very, very different. Reflex tears are found to be about 98% water, whereas several chemicals are commonly present in emotional tears. So crying can literally make you feel physically and emotionally better. A couple points that I have found that, it, that are helpful to this releasing process, because this, this can be a challenging phase, no doubt. One thing that I have found is that if you can name what you are releasing, what you are sad about, what you are letting go of, it can help. Directed an intention seems to help clear this energy more efficiently. Otherwise, sadness can get recycled and because we don't know what we're letting go of. It can just keep playing itself out. So name it. If you can, name it. I am letting go of the fact I was abused or shamed. I am releasing the part of me that is still so wounded and scared and abandoned. I am grieving the loss that I will never see him smile again. I will never cook breakfast for him again. I'll never smell the top of his head. I'll never dance at their wedding. I'll never know grandchildren. Never see them smile. The dream is over. The house, the kids, what we planned, the relationship. What are you letting go of? Be as specific as possible. Name it. And then when you cry... Make space for yourself to release that thing and let it go. Another thing that I have found helpful to this process is ritual. Ritual can be important for releasing because it can provide us with a means, no matter how humble or grand, to mark momentous times in our life, to lift and change energy to allow energy to move in and to let go of energy that needs to move out. So funerals, spreading of ashes, burning letters we have written, prayer, mantra, anything that makes our pain sacred and meaningful. When we embrace ritual, we embrace reverence, and we can better direct the energy of letting go. It's a way to join intent and action in release. The last point I want to make around the concept of letting go is that when we do this kind of release, it is not about forgetting. It is about opening. Change in this way is not going from one land and forgetting that we had been there. To, to go to a new one. It is about expanding into a new way of being. When we grow, when we evolve, when we transform, we do not lose what we have learned and we do not lose what we have loved. We move forward with that information and then we add something more. So this process is about inclusion, not exclusion. And I say that because release work is about letting go of ties many times. And sometimes we have a hard time removing that phone number from our phone of the person that broke up with us. We have a hard time letting go of the resentment of the past. Somehow it keeps us stoic and strong. Sometimes it's hard to go through the closet of the person that passed away. I get it. We need to release the ties so we can move forward, though. In our own time, there's a natural rhythm to it. There's no time limit on it. 
But the point is to remember that just because we give the clothes away doesn't mean we don't take the love with us. By closing the door, it doesn't mean we forget them. Love, the learning, it all comes with us. Now, the last phase is known as acceptance. I've also called it peace. And what is important to remember about this phase is acceptance doesn't mean we have to like it. It doesn't even mean we have to agree with what is. It just means that we're not at war with it, that we have come into cooperation with it, and that we can then choose how we want to respond. Acceptance is about opening up to what is, not necessarily what we want it to be. And I would agree that acceptance can be a phase all in and of itself, for sure. I would also say that to really utilize the energy of all the other phases or stages, we need to evoke some element of acceptance in each one. We need to allow ourselves to be where we are with each one. Yet, if we're talking about it in a stage in itself, I want to point out that this stage, although it feels almost like a culmination in some way, and in some ways it could be that we've reached a point of acceptance, it is not a place of passivity. It is an active practice of presence and surrender. The gift of acceptance is to reveal the present moment, It's to allow and afford us the opportunity to experience the grace that arises when we simply are where we are. If we can really center into our acceptance, it can heal resentment. It widens our perspective. It allows us to ask deep questions. It enhances our perception of how we really see the world. When we make peace with what is, we open to the grace that is always present in the present moment. We're no longer in the past. We're not in the future. We're just here. And that is an empowering and beautiful place to be. With grief, sometimes we reach this stage and we stay there for a while, depending on the process, depending on the level of grief and the intensity of change. And sometimes we touch this space only for a minute. And then we are plunged right back into another part of the cycle. So we have these moments of presence and grace. And then we go right back into perhaps anger or denial or sadness. So it can be the natural end point after we have actively engaged the energy of the other phases. For sure. Once we've really felt those feelings, anger and, and sadness and denial and bargaining or controlling uncertainty, we can naturally get to a place of acceptance. The dysfunction, though, shows up when we want to get there, when we want so badly to reach the place of peace and acceptance that we bypass the journey. So the stuck or dysfunction dysfunctional part of this phase arises when we try to get acceptance before we have actually emerged through the fire of our feelings. Remember, grief is a somatic process and requires that we stay grounded, stay present, stay open to what is happening in our body, mind, and soul so we do not fall into bypassing behavior. When we do that, when we're actually open to what is happening, we are naturally in a place of acceptance. This pattern can show up, this this bypassing pattern can often show up by well-meaning people who say things like, they're in a better place. They haven't actually left you. It's all good. Things happen for a reason. You'll find a better relationship. There's plenty of fish in the sea. Or maybe we say those things to ourselves, trying to alleviate some of the pain that we actually feel. Now, again, I'm not saying those things aren't true. 
And on an intellectual level, we know that they are. But those phrases can also be used as a way to disconnect from what is, trying to promote acceptance before we have actually walked the road to get there. So be where you are. And remember that grief is a holistic process, physical, emotional, spiritual, all of it. We have to allow the waves to wash over us, to feel what we are feeling. Because if we don't, we will feel disconnected and disassociated and stuck, not able to move forward with the wisdom that each phase has to offer. We must allow ourselves the freedom to be where we are, to laugh, to cry, to wail, to scream, to chant, to dance, to feel, whatever, and stay grounded enough in the present so we don't get swept away in the past. Remember the two points of around working with feelings, and specifically grief. We cannot heal what we can't feel, and the only way out is through. A third truth comes in here as well. This too shall pass. All of it does. To use the energy of grief, we must allow it to move. It will pass. It must be allowed to drop us to our knees, to open us up, and then lift us, inspire us, ignite us in some way. It must be allowed to take us from a place that we've known to a place that we don't know. What is beyond life? This is where grief takes us, if we allow it to, to a river that joins us all. The practice of grief, then, of releasing something deeply important to you, becomes a process of surrendering a part of you to another world so you can live more fully in this one. And it is a winding, long path with no specific destination or end in sight, such as the nature of change. Having these ups and downs along the way is normal and healthy, as is backtracking through the stages, in and out, up and down, as long as you are moving forward and making progress. Overall, that's what's important. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, famous saying. Your job is to just keep stepping. But if you find that the path is getting rockier rather than smoother, if you feel stuck, stalled, stranded, at any point, that would be a good time to seek the professional counsel of somebody who's familiar with grief work. It, heck, it may not be a bad idea to seek some help even if you are not experiencing any complicating circumstances from grief because really understanding grief and change and how to utilize the cycles in your own life can really help you move forward more efficiently, clearly, and with a sense of empowerment. And that's what we all are hoping for. None of us escapes grief. It happens. It shows up all the time. And it can happen in the most significant places by losing someone that we deeply, deeply care about or a relationship that we care about or a dream that we care about and have attached ourselves to. And it can happen in those insignificant moments when our car breaks down and we can't get to work or, or we lose a Word document. It shows up. It happens and change. We can't, to live an inspired life, we are going to have to go through the cycle of change. And we're going to have to go through the cycle of grief to do it. So understanding better what those cycles and stages are can help us move through in a more expanded and inspired way. I hope that gave you some framework and new perspective about the grief process and maybe some new tools 
on how you can utilize it as a force of change in your own life. As always, I appreciate feedback. I do love to hear from you. Find me at alekasky.com if you have questions, comments, show ideas. If you need support and want to work with these deeper concepts of grief and how to utilize them in your own life, or if you feel stuck, just reach out. So much gratitude to each and every one of you for listening. And until next time, take care.